And so now we are continuing in our series in the Gospel of Mark, the Son of God. And we come to Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through chapter 5, verse 20. So I ask you to please turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. Hear now the eternal living word of God. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to see Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. They began to beg Jesus to depart from the region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. This is the word of the Lord. 
for a large portion of, of human history, monarchies were a prevailing form of government over earthly human kingdoms. In a monarchy, one person, a king or a queen, is the head of state for the kingdom. But there were several different forms of monarchy throughout history, and they had varying degrees of power. One type of monarchy is an absolute monarchy. This type of monarchy came about in Europe in the 17th century and still actually exists in some nations today. In an absolute monarchy, the monarch rules in his or, own, his or her own right or power. In an absolute monarchy, the king is by no means limited and has absolute power. An absolute monarch has total power over every aspect of his kingdom. So as this story of the gospel, the story of the life, work, death, and resurrection of Jesus has been unfolding in the book of Mark, we've seen the announcement of the kingdom. We've seen the miracles of Jesus. Jesus has proclaimed his authority to forgive sins. He's shown his power and his authority over demons, over human illness, and his popularity has skyrocketed. The size of the crowds has become unmanageable so that Jesus has to go out in a boat and teach from the sea. And his opposition from the scribes and the Pharisees has increased to the point that they are conspiring to kill him. And so then Jesus began to teach in parables in order to teach the truth to those who have ears to hear and to conceal the truth from those who oppose him. Last week we studied the kingdom parables. And there Jesus taught us about the hidden, current hiddenness of the kingdom and the glory of the kingdom that has yet to be revealed. And he also talked about the power of the kingdom. And this week, Jesus will begin to reveal more about himself. He reveals himself as the king of the kingdom, as God's Messiah, and he shows us that he is an absolute monarch that he has absolute power over his kingdom. There is no limits to his power. And in our passage this morning, we'll see two aspects of the absolute power of Jesus. His total power over physical creation and his total power over spiritual creation. The stories today take place on the same day that Jesus taught the kingdom parables that we learned last week. Starting in verse 35, it says, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. So at the end of teaching these parables on the kingdom, Jesus was speaking to these large crowds. He told his disciples, Let's go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And they went with him in a boat, and they had other boats with them. But then something happens, starting in verse 37. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And so on this trip across the sea... Uh, a great windstorm came, and the waves were crashing into their boat, and so that the boat immediately began to fill with water. But Jesus was in the stern. He was asleep on a cushion. 
And so the disciples naturally went over to him and woke him up. And they said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And so I think it's important to note that, that Jesus is actually the one who decided to go across the sea. He was the one that led them into this storm, into this tremendous difficulty. They were in this storm that was completely out of their control. Waves were smashing into the boat. The boat was filling with water because he's testing them. And after they asked him if he cared that they were perishing, they were saying, Jesus, wake up, we're all about to die. Don't you even care? His response we read, starting in verse 39. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And so Jesus wakes up immediately and he rebukes the wind. He commands the sea to be still, to be at peace. And so Jesus is revealing himself in a profound way. At this point in the story, the disciples had seen him perform many miracles. They saw him heal lepers. They saw him heal a man with a withered hand. They saw him make a crippled man walk again. He had exercised demons who had to obey his every command. But they didn't expect that he had this kind of power. We see this from their response in verse 41. It says, and they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? When they saw the power that Jesus had, the power to command the wind and the sea and even the natural elements of this world obeyed him, they were struck with fear. They had fear of this power. And this power is the first aspect of the absolute power of Jesus that we see here. His total power over physical creation. As I mentioned, this passage immediately follows Jesus' teaching of the coming glory of the kingdom of God and the power of God to establish his kingdom. The kingdom of God is brought about through the power of God. And the power of God is so immense that the glory of the kingdom is beyond our wildest imagination. And now Jesus is showing that he holds that power. That he is the king of God's kingdom. God himself in the flesh came as a person. As Jesus of Nazareth and he holds this power over all of creation. And his power is absolute. That even the sea and the wind obey him. And so what can you take away from this story? You can remember that the one who has total power over all of creation, the king that is an absolute monarch with authority and power over the universe and everything in it, is the same one that laid down his life for you. He's the same one that loves you to the point that he was willing to die for your sins. He was an innocent man who sacrificed himself so that you could be forgiven. He lived a perfectly righteous life on your behalf so that you could be seen with his righteousness before the Father. And so that is the sovereign king of the universe. The absolute monarch of the cosmos loves you more than you even know. Jesus, the one who has power over all of creation, God in the flesh, is right now interceding before the Father on your behalf. And so he may test you. 
He may lead you into trials into your life. And in doing so, he strengthens you and matures you. The disciples were focused on the storm, not on Jesus and what he could do. And and this is understandable. A violent storm is pretty frightening, especially if you're on a boat. And they were fishermen. Being in a boat was normal to them. So this storm must have been extraordinary. It It was severe. But the response of Jesus is one we can remember in our own difficulties, in our own trials in life, regardless of how severe they are. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? When life is difficult, which it often is, our natural response is to worry, is to fear. But Jesus, he is for you. He loves you. He cares for you. And he is Lord over everything. There's nothing he can't do. And so he calls you to have faith in him. He calls you to trust in him. When your instincts bring you to worry or to fear about the circumstances in your life, even in suffering and pain, trials of all kind. James, the brother of Jesus, who was most likely part of the family who earlier, chapter 3, thought Jesus was out of his mind, wasn't a believer during the earthly ministry of Jesus, but he came to believe in Jesus as Savior and the Lord of all things after his resurrection. And he wrote the book of the Bible titled James. And in the opening of this letter, he wrote, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. His point, to rejoice in trials because they test your faith. Jesus leads us into the testing of our faith to produce steadfastness, to grow our faith, to strengthen our faith and our trust in him. When you start to slip into anxiety or fear or despair over the circumstances of your life, you can trust in the one who has absolute and total power over everything, including the circumstances of your life. Because Jesus is not only in control, he's not only totally in control. Jesus loves you and he is with you. But after he calms the storm, the the disciples respond in fear, not of the storm anymore, but fear of Jesus himself, because they now realize that they are in the presence of a man who is no mere mortal. He's not simply performing miracles on behalf of God, but he is God himself. He has absolute and total power over even nature. But Jesus is not done revealing his power. We get another story starting in chapter 5, verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. So they do make it to the other side. And now Mark reports this story takes place in the country or the region of Gerasenes. And there is much debate among scholars about the exact location of the story. But the real importance about the location is that it is on the other side of the sea. Therefore, it most likely would have been Gentiles. And so we see what happens once they get there, beginning in verse 2. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately 
there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. There's an account of this story also in both Matthew and Luke's gospel, but Mark's account is significantly longer. Mark clearly wants us to see the severity of this man's situation. Like the physical storm on the Sea of Galilee that Jesus and his disciples had just faced, this man's spiritual captivity is something fierce. Even in his life, he was constrained to the tombs, to the land of the dead. But Jesus, who has already shown his power over demons, shows this power again, this time to a much greater magnitude. Starting in verse 6, And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. As we have mentioned, there are many demon possessions during Jesus' earthly ministry. They were there to oppose him. But as they have been finding out, they are no match for him. He is complete and total power over them. So this time, the man suffering with an unclean spirit cries out. He's been crying out. He's, they've been unable to bind him by any change. Runs up to Jesus and bows down at his feet. And he cries out, what have you to do with me? Jesus, the son of the most high God, I adjure you by God not to torment me. So this opposition that has been failing now, the demon knows who Jesus is. He knows what his power is. He knows that Jesus is the eternal son of God in the flesh and therefore has the power and authority of God himself. The power that the disciples have increasingly are beginning to see before their eyes is no secret to these demons. And so we see in verse 9 the response of Jesus. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned into the sea. So Jesus asked this demon its name, and the response is, my name is Legion, for we are many. So Satan seems to be increasing the opposition to Jesus, this time with a legion of demons occupying one man. The strength of the possessed man was beyond human ability to capture him. But before the power of Jesus, even this legion of demons is powerless. All they can do is beg for mercy. They ask him to send them into the pigs. In the presence of Jesus, they even need permission to go and enter the pigs. Jesus, the one who even the wind and the sea obey, is also the one that the demons must obey. And so the second aspect of the absolute power of Jesus that we see here is his total power over spiritual creation. 
Jesus is increasingly showing his true identity, the eternal son of God, Yahweh himself incarnate. And as the creator of the universe to whom all things were made through, by, and for, he's the word of God who became flesh and dwelt among us, the creator of heaven and earth. He has power and authority over heaven and earth. Satan, who is the prince of this world, has taken sinners captive. He and his demons, though, are no match for Jesus. Jesus has come to bind Satan and to free sinners, to free the captives of Satan. And he's showing his continuous power to do so. There have been two stories already of Jesus casting out demons. He's displaying his supreme power over them. But this one's more extreme. There's enough demons to fill 2,000 pigs. It's an army of demons. But Jesus shows absolute power over them. They have to beg him for mercy. They need his permission to do anything. But he allows it. He allows them to enter the pigs because he knows the pigs will just go to their death. But this story of the demon-possessed man teaches us something else about the power of Jesus. It gives you a picture of Jesus freeing you from the kingdom of Satan. This man was a prisoner of Satan. He was one of the possessions of the strong man that Jesus referred to in chapter 3, which everyone was at one point. All of humanity is born into bondage to sin, Satan, and to death. But Jesus has total power over spiritual creation, which means he has total power over Satan, total power over his demons. Only Jesus has the power to free people from Satan. He is the one that has come to bind the strong man where everyone else has failed. Anyone else that Satan has tempted with sin has given in to that sin. But Jesus can free us from Satan. And he frees this man from his torment of demon possession. He frees this man from his life in the darkness, from living in the land of the dead among the tombs. And he brings him back to life, essentially. And this is a picture of Jesus' work in the new exodus. Jesus freeing everyone. Jesus freeing you and I from the bondage of Satan, sin, and death. And he brings you into the kingdom of God and gives you new spiritual life. God gives you the gift of faith, the gift of repentance, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of a new life lived for him. You can now live for God, live for his kingdom, live for his righteousness. The total power of Jesus over Satan's and his demons means that you don't have to fear Satan. Because without Jesus Christ, Satan and demons are something to fear. You don't stand a chance against Satan without Jesus because you don't stand a chance against your own sinful nature. On your own, you'll always choose sin. You would never choose God in Christ. But because Jesus lived a perfectly sinless life on your behalf, because he paid the penalty of your sins on the cross, you are brought out of the darkness into the light. You are free from the kingdom of Satan and you can enter the kingdom of God. Not by anything you could do or could have done. There's nothing you can do to earn your way into the kingdom. But it's all by the grace of God through the gift of faith in the life, work, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But this story doesn't end with the demons entering the pigs and and, then the pigs 
turning and running into the sea. We see what follows starting in verse 14. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. So the herdsmen who were there, probably those who tended to these pigs, went into the city, they went into the country, they went everywhere they could and told people what they had just witnessed. The demon-possessed man that lived among the tombs, that was breaking their chains and crying out from the mountains in the night, was probably a pretty well-known figure in the area. So when Jesus was able to cast out his demon and free him from this state from, by the word of his power, they immediately went out and told everyone what they saw. And when the people heard, they came. They wanted to see this. And they saw Jesus sitting there with this same tormented man, this time fully clothed and in his right mind. And they responded the same way the disciples did to Jesus calming the storm. They were afraid. They weren't afraid of the demon-possessed man anymore, but they were afraid of Jesus because they realized that this is no mere man. Jesus is God who has come as a human. It's only the power of God that establishes the kingdom of God, and Jesus is the one who wields this power. And every time someone comes into the presence of God throughout Scripture, we see someone who is struck with fear. And Jesus is revealing more about himself. He's revealing that he is the all-powerful, almighty God in the flesh, and people are responding in fear. But fortunately, Jesus being no mere man means although he is all-powerful, although he, he doesn't wield his power over you, though, he doesn't oppress you as a sinner would when they, if they had this kind of power. Jesus is not corrupted by his powerful. He is all-powerful, but he is also good. There's a scene in, in the Chronicles of Narnia that captures this idea well. One of the characters is a little girl named Lucy, and she's speaking with two beavers, Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, about a character named Aslan. Aslan is the Jesus figure in the story, and he's a lion. And she's scared to meet a lion, so she asks, is he quite safe? I feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. And then Mrs. Beaver said, if there's anyone who can be appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, and they're braver than most, or they're just silly, then he isn't safe, the little girl asks. And then Mr. Beaver responds, safe? Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Jesus is humble and he's meek, not because he doesn't have any power. Jesus is all-powerful. He is the king. He's an absolute monarch over all of creation with no limits on his power. But he is good. He loves you. No other human could defeat Satan. It took the almighty God himself breaking into the line of Adam, coming as a human to free us all, you and I, to free us from Satan, sin, evil, and death once and for all through the perfectly righteous life, death, and resurrection 
of Jesus. And when people come into contact with Jesus as he's revealing his true identity, he's revealing his power, they're struck with fear. Then we see starting in verse 16. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And he was getting into the boat. The man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. And so the people, probably out of fear, asked Jesus to leave the area. And so he gets into a boat, and the demon-possessed man wants to go with him. But Jesus denies him. He instead tells him to go and tell everyone what God has done for him and the mercy God has shown him. And so he does. So it's not certain why Jesus doesn't allow this man to be his disciple. It may be that a Gentile would have been a stumbling block to his ministry at this point. But he also, he doesn't command him to silence like he has so far in the story. He doesn't tell this man not to tell anyone. Jesus instead tells him to go and tell everyone, possibly because Jesus has been banned from the region. But nonetheless, this healed demon-possessed man is the first preacher sent out by Jesus. He's a Gentile missionary to the Gentiles. And so in these two stories we read today, Jesus has shown his absolute power as king. He has shown his power over creation, all of it. And it means he has the total power to save and to heal, to forgive and restore. And so for you, whatever issues, whatever your circumstances may be in your life, you can go to Jesus Christ. You can submit to him as the sovereign king, not only over the universe, but over your life, over your circumstances. Holding on to your self-sufficiency, holding on to sin is to not allow him to restore and heal your life. When you hold on to your sin, when you hold on to pain and grudges, you end up like the people of the Gerasenes, sending Jesus away. You hold him away from your issues. But to submit to him is to allow him to heal your heart. That you may have his peace, the peace that only he can bring in your heart, regardless of your circumstances. The one who has the power to calm the storm has the power to calm your heart. And he loves you. He is for you. Why put him off? Come to Jesus for salvation. Come to Jesus for healing. He is the only one that can save you, and he's the only one that can bring you total peace in your life and in your heart. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we gather before you knowing of your total power, that you are the God of all creation, almighty God, in complete control of everything. Your power is beyond anything we can understand, but we submit our lives to you because you love us and we love you. Help us, Lord, and give us the strength and the spirit to continuously turn to you as life 
often becomes difficult. Our circumstances often overwhelm us. Help us to remember that you and your son are in control. That Jesus is the only way to have peace in our life, peace in our hearts. Because he is an absolute monarch, the king of all creation. And it is only in him that we find salvation. It is only in him that we find peace. We pray in his glorious name. Amen.